It's a long, embarrassing story. Uh, I'm the youth leader here at City Church. We're so glad that you came and joined us today, if, especially if you're visiting for the first time. Welcome. We're glad you came here this Thanksgiving weekend. I uh, hope you had a great time of worship this morning. And uh, if you are visiting, we'd just like to get to know you a little bit better. So there's a number up on the screen that you can uh, text the word guest to. And if you do that, you're going to share a little information with us. We're going to share a little information with you. We're going to get to know each other. You're not going to get a bunch of crazy spam. Uh, we just want to know that you came and who you were. And uh, we also want to give you a nice little gift. So if you're here in person, be sure to talk with one of our greeters. And they have a nice little gift that they want to hand to you before you leave today. So please take advantage of that and do that. Um, all right. Couple announcements this morning. Uh, if you came into the lobby this morning, you saw that there was a Christmas tree up and you're thinking, man, those people, they really put up those Christmas trees quick. That was like there before Thanksgiving. It's not just a Christmas decoration, all right? So that tree is for Rivers of Mercy. Rivers of Mercy is an orphanage that we support down in Mexico and we want to bless those kids with a nice Christmas. Uh, so we're collecting toys for them, and if you uh, grab a picture of a kid off of the tree, what you do is you look on the back, they have some requests, you fill them, and then you're going to want to bring everything that you're going to get for your kid here before December 3rd so we can get it down to the Rivers of Mercy Orphanage in time for Christmas. One year a kid asked for a sled. Does anyone remember this? I think, yeah, right? A kid asked for a sled, and we're like, sled? What are you going to do with that? It never snows in Mexico, and that year it snowed. So uh, God does amazing things. I'm not even making that up. God does amazing things uh, when, we, when we bless these kids. Uh, if you want more information, talk to Dale or Tawny Masters, and they'll tell you more about it. Uh, all right, small groups. Uh, the new semester of small groups is going to be starting up soon. Can you believe it? The year's almost over. Like, we're moving into December. It's crazy. Uh, so we got a new semester of small groups coming up soon, and if you'd like to be a leader... For small groups, we encourage you to sign up. You can go to our website, citychurchabq.com, look under the resources tab, and you can click there, I want to start a small group. You're going to fill out a form, get some information, then we'll be in touch with you about that. And if you could do that before December 17th, that would be very helpful. I already filled out my form for my small group. I filled it out like the first day it was available. Why? Because I want to be on Santa's nice list. So I'm hoping that he noticed that I did something right this time. Uh, instead of signing up way late, like I normally do. Sorry, Cassie. Uh, anyway, so I'm hoping to make Santa's nice list, and if you'd like to make the list of small group leaders, please sign up for that. Uh, there's a lot more announcements. If you check out our weekly newsletter, you're going to find more info, especially about some holiday stuff that's coming up. We've got some fun stuff planned, so be, check out, be sure to check out the newsletter for all the information that I didn't talk about today. And now let's uh, take a time for our tithes and offerings. And... Uh, there's a couple ways to give. You can text to give to the number on the screen. Uh, you can also give on our website. There's some boxes at the back of the auditorium if you're all, all old school about how you want to give. But as we get ready to give our tithes and offerings, you know, as we think back, you know, talking about leftovers, God never gives us leftovers. Why would we give him leftovers? And there's a reason the Bible says we tithe and we give from our first fruits, not from our leftovers. God is worthy of what we get first, isn't he? I mean, he gave us first. He gives everything to us first. He doesn't give us leftovers, and then we're going to struggle with it, and like, yeah, but I, I, I can't, so you can have what's left over. I don't know about you. I just wouldn't feel right giving God leftovers, and I'm not trying to guilt trip you about this. I'm just stating a fact. Why give God leftovers when he never gives us leftovers? That's why we tithe from our first fruits. So let's pray for our tithes and offerings this morning. God, we're excited to give you the first fruits of all the wealth that you have blessed us with, all the prosperity that you have blessed us with. We want to give it right back to you first, not what's left over, but right from the beginning. We want to give it to you so you can use it for your kingdom, so you can bless people through your kingdom. And God, we are so grateful for all the ways that you love us and care for us and take care of us and that it's never the leftovers. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Now, the moment you've been waiting for. Here he is, the Sultan of Sermons, the Patriarch of Preaching. It's Pastor Jeff. <laughs> Yo doesn't want to be on Santa's naughty list. Apparently, he doesn't want to be on mine either.
I will say, yo, I did notice your form came in really early for the uh, small group. So good work. All right. Uh, before we jump into uh, our sermon this morning, I want to share something with you and just we're all going to take a moment and pray together as, as a church family. Um, Alan Hawkins is the founding pastor of New Life City Church here in Albuquerque. He's also a member of our church's accountability board. And uh, last weekend, Alan's son, Anthony, passed away after he ended his own life. And uh, as you can imagine how heartbreaking a thing that would be to experience for a, a family, uh, we thought it would be good for us as a church family today to take a moment and just to pray for Alan, for his wife, Gail, for uh, their family. Anthony had uh, two sisters and uh, to just pray for the Hawkins family that, um, that uh, one, you know, the Bible says that God is near to the brokenhearted. And so when I've been praying for Alan and his family all throughout this week, my prayer has been, Lord, may your presence just be so very real to them. We know that you're near. May they sense that you are with them. Uh, I also, when I'm praying for them, have been praying, Lord, may your grace, may your comfort, may your peace, the kind that only you can give, may it just abound to them. Amen. We uh, went to their uh, memorial yesterday at New Life City and just a beautiful time of hearing people share all about this uh, wonderful young, uh, young man, uh, Anthony. And so can we, church, can we just take a moment and just lift our voices to the Lord and just uh, pray uh, for uh, Alan Hawkins, his wife, Gail, their family, and just for God's presence, grace, peace, and comfort to abound to them as they mourn and as they grieve. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we just, uh, we come to you right now Lord, we lift up to you the Hawkins family. Lord, Alan, his wife, Gail, uh, their children, Lord, all of their family. Lord, as they are brokenhearted in this moment. And uh, we pray for them, Lord, as their brothers and sisters in Christ. And we ask, Father, Lord, that during this moment of such heartbreak and of such grief for this family, Lord, may your presence be so very real to them. May they sense in very real and tangible ways, your nearness, your presence with them in this moment. We uh, look to you because you are the God who mourns with those who mourn. And uh, so we ask also that your grace, that your peace, that your comfort would abound to them as they grieve and as they mourn. We pray that as they are processing the loss that they are experiencing. We ask that the hope that their son is in your arms and in your presence, uh, Lord, would bring comfort to them. We thank you for it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. I want to encourage you, church, to keep uh, the Hawkins family just in your prayers as you think about them over the next little bit. Just say a quick prayer for them, asking for God's presence, grace, peace and comfort uh, to abound to them. Amen. So in this uh, is the final sermon in our series where we've been talking about unity. And uh, our focus has been really on three things during the course of this series. That at City Church we are united by three things. That we are unified by our shared allegiance to Jesus. That we are unified by our shared commitment to Jesus' family and that we are unified by our shared commitment to Jesus' mission. I don't know about you, but uh, I enjoy sports. I enjoy watching sports more than I enjoy playing sports, especially as I've gotten a little older and a little less in shape. I like to watch people. I was out, uh, I actually went golfing with a couple of uh, guys in the church on Friday and I haven't been, I used to golf a lot and I haven't golfed in years and years. Uh, Donald over here was uh, gracious enough to host us at a golf course that he golfs at quite a bit. And um, as much as I enjoyed playing golf on Friday, I enjoyed watching Donald more than I enjoyed playing. Because he can golf. Me, I'm just kind of pretending to be out there and hoping that I make decent contact every once in a while. But I enjoy sports. I enjoy watching sports. I have a confession. 
that when I see a, you know, when it gets to the end of a season and a team will win whatever championship they've been striving for and they all gather around and they're, you know, hoisting their trophy or they're celebrating in their locker room or whatever, I will confess to you that on a number of times when I have watched that, I shed a tear in my living room. Let me tell you why. You know, a sports season for a team, it's a long and arduous and challenging journey where a group of people are all focused on one particular goal, one particular aim. And we love to witness that journey, don't we? I don't know about you, but we love to grab like a, a bowl of potato chips and your favorite soda or your favorite drink. And you sit down in front of your television and we just get totally into the contest that we see on our television. We get so into it from time to time between mouthfuls of potato chips, we will yell at the players as if somehow we know better than they do what they're doing. Here am I in my living room with my chips and somehow I know better than the guy who's making $8 million a year to play his sport, but we get so into the moment, so into the contest. And if you watch your team then, you know, throughout the year, a team will have its ups and its downs, even the best of them are going to lose some games, and then they're going to win some games. They're going to go on a losing streak, they're going to go on a winning streak. There's going to be problems that happen in the locker room, and on ESPN, they'll report about this issue going on with this player, and this player, and this coach, and the management and players are going to get traded and players are going to get injured and there's all these ups and the downs and the adversities that happen and then comes the playoff season where things get really intense and you'll see players make sacrifices in order to push their team forward and you know one of the things that's so interesting is when a team gets to the very end win or lose in the championship, you'll hear about players and the injuries that they have been nursing while they have continued to play. Why? Because they are willing to sacrifice even their own bodies in order to help contribute to their team, advancing towards the goal that they have to win some kind of championship. And then when they get to that moment where finally a winner is crowned and somebody prevails, some team prevails, and they celebrate like they should, right? And it's an amazing thing to behold. And you begin to hear about the sacrifices the players have made. You begin to hear about the challenges that a team has overcome in their journey to finally win this championship. And these are moments that for me, they, they honestly, they bring a tear to my eye frequently. And I will tell you that for me, one of the reasons why it has such an emotional impact for me, and I know it does for many, is I sit back and I say to myself, I want that. I want to be a part of a team. I want to be a part of a community. I want to be a part of a group of people that are focused on a particular direction and on a particular prize. And I want to be a part of a community where one day in sharing meals or in sharing fellowship and in sharing friendship, we're able to celebrate the victories that we have experienced in life and in faith and in the march to win the prize to which God has called us. I cry sometimes when I'm watching sports because I find that that it tugs on something deep within my heart that I believe is deeper than even the natural trophy that a team can win. You know, the scripture actually uses sports as an analogy and as a picture in a number of different places. And one of the things that it tells us is that here we go through all of the battles in order to win a trophy that you hand back next year. But the scripture tells us that as Christians, as followers of Jesus, that God has set before us a prize that is of eternal value and it is an eternal reward. Meaning nobody can take it from us. You know, maybe the idea of sports here for some of us, it can bring back difficult memories because maybe you don't identify as being a particularly athletic person. 
And maybe you recall the moment where maybe in the neighborhood where you grew up or on your school playground, some of the kids would gather around or the gym teacher would get you together and we're going to play basketball or we're going to play soccer or whatever it is. And they would pick a couple of captains. How many know what I'm talking about? And then they would start going through and the captains would start saying, I, I pick this person, I pick this person, I pick this person. And you're like, come on, come on. Right? We just don't want to be that last person picked. And so for some of us, we have negative memories of maybe feeling like we were always among the last people who were picked. Maybe we were the person that when our team lost, other people would blame us because we, you know, because we weren't as good or they would criticize our play as if it was because of us that our team didn't win. And for some of us, this analogy actually can be a bit painful. Here's the thing. You or I may or may not be any good at a particular sport or athletic type of endeavor. But do you understand that there's something that's really significant, not just about where you are picked in the draft, as it were, but can I suggest to you today that more important than anything is who picks you. See, if we're all on the playground today, if after church we all go out into the parking lot and we're gonna play a game of basketball together, and if it turns out that there are two captains who are picking teams out there, and I'm one of those captains, and the other captain is LeBron James, it's going to matter to you who picks you. Listen, even if you are the second person picked, if I'm the one that picks you, there's going to be a bit of disappointment. But if LeBron James picks you, you're going to feel honored, you're going to feel privileged, you're going to be excited, you're going to have a level of expectation, and you're going to be like, I'm, I'm in. I don't know how good I am. Sometimes I feel like I'm not great at baseball, but here's what I know. This guy is a winner. Some people say he's the greatest of all time. I don't want to get into the debate because we're talking about unity here. But who picks you matters. Now listen, you're here today because Jesus Christ picked you. The God-man, God in flesh, the greatest human being who has ever lived has put his hand on you. He has pointed his finger at you. He has set his gaze on you. And he has said, I want you on my team. So listen, don't look around and be like, well, it's God, God's got to use somebody else because somebody else is more skilled, is more talented, has a better personality or whatever it is. Listen, Jesus picked you. He picked you. Why? Because he wants you. I won't get into this right now for the sake of time, but you know, in one of the gospels where it talks about, where it talks about when Jesus picked his 12, it actually uses this language. It says that among his followers, that Jesus called to himself the 12, and this is how it describes them, that he wanted. Listen, why are you here? Jesus wants you. In fact, he wanted you so much that he went to work in your life, for some of you, years before you were even aware of it. And he was orchestrating things behind the scenes, around you, ahead of you, all for one purpose, because he loves you, and because he wanted you to be a part of his community, of his family, of his team. So, just to clarify here, when we use this illustration of sport, do not allow that to cause uncertainty, insecurity, fear to rise up within your own heart. Jesus picked you. 
because he has deposited something in you and he wants you to be a part of what he is doing in the world today. You know, there are individual sports, of course, and there are team sports. The big point of what we're going to talk about today is simply that the Great Commission is a team sport. The Great Commission is a team sport, and this is our team. We must be united around a mission. Just like a team in sport, baseball, football, whatever, if it's going to win the championship, it must be united towards that goal. If division sets in, it will almost certainly fail. Right? This team, this is what we've been talking about. This community, this family of faith must have a spirit of unity about us if we are to be who God is calling us to be and if we are to accomplish what God is calling us to accomplish for God's glory and for Albuquerque's blessing. I want you to see that God himself is on a mission. We come by this naturally. You know, the story of the Bible, from the garden in Genesis chapter 2 to the garden city in Revelation 22, reveals to us a God of purpose who is on a mission to accomplish what he had always set out to do. The prophet Isaiah articulates this really well. In Isaiah 14, 24, it says, The Lord Almighty has sworn... Surely, as I have planned, so it will be. And as I have purposed, so it will happen. In chapter 46, verses 9 and 10, it says, Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from the ancient times, what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. Finally, in chapter 55, verses 10 to 11, it says, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire, and it will achieve the purpose for which I sent it. So God is a God on mission. So if God is a God on mission, then you have to know that God's son is also a man on mission. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, the angel Gabriel appears to Joseph and speaks to him about the baby that Mary would give birth to. And he says to Joseph, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So before Jesus was even born, he was a man on a mission. There was a purpose in his birth, a purpose in his life. In Luke 19, verse 10, Jesus describes his own purpose in coming by saying, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. To seek and to save the lost. In Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 2, the author of Hebrews writes, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. There's that sports analogy fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of our faith for the joy that was set before him or to say it another way for the prize that was set before him or to say it this way for the purpose for the mission that was set before him he endured the cross scorning its shame and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God so when you think about the passion of Jesus, the suffering that he endured on the way to the cross, I don't know about you, but sometimes it makes me wonder, why would Jesus even endure that? Why would he allow himself to go through all of that? Why would he persevere through suffering? Why? Because he was a man on a mission. Turns out that mission was you. But he was a man on a mission. And so if God is revealed in Scripture as a God 
who is on mission. And if God's son is revealed in scripture as being a man on a mission, then guess what? Jesus' followers are called to join him in his mission. We're called to join him in his mission. Watch this. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, Jesus, when he started calling his disciples, said this, Come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. You see the connection between come follow me and then being on mission? Jesus said, Come and follow me, and I will send you out. Notice here that following leads to sending. You can't, you and I, we can't be the kinds of Christians who just want to follow but don't want to go. We can't be the kinds of Christians who are happy to just sit back and become consumers of spiritual goods and services. But don't ask me to do anything. No, no, following always leads to sending. And so if we're going to be followers of Jesus, get ready. Get ready, because the moment is coming, if it hasn't already come yet, where he taps you on the shoulder and says, time to get out there. Time to get out there. So in Matthew 4, verse 19, he says, come follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. This is so evident so easy to see here in Matthew. So after Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus calls his disciples, in Matthew chapter 5 to 7, we read what is called the Sermon on the Mount, which is to say that Jesus then taught his disciples all of what it looked like to be a follower of Jesus, to live life in his way. And so he instructed the disciples in the New Covenant. He instructed the disciples and what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. Then in Matthew 8 and 9, it, it, we see Jesus healing the sick. We see him calming a storm. We see him casting out demons. So what's happened? He's called his disciples. He has said to them, come follow me and I will make you fishers of people. Follow me and I will send you. And then he spends a couple of chapters teaching them, giving them the instructions. This is the classroom of this is what this is all about. It's the classroom. Then what happens in, in Matthew 8 and 9? It's like Jesus says to the crowd, to the followers, to his disciples, let's get out of the classroom now and let me show you what this actually looks like. This is what it looks like with your family. This is what it looks like in your neighborhood. This is what it looks like when you're at work. This is what it looks like out in the streets of Albuquerque. All the stuff we've been talking about over on the mountain. Here, let me show you what it looks like. It looks like healing the sick. It looks like calming the storm. It looks like casting out demons. It looks like ministering freedom to people's lives. It looks like offering hope. It looks like offering faith. It looks like being a source of encouragement and peace and strength. It looks like finding those who have needs and helping and serving them. And so Jesus gives them a, an object lesson in this is what this looks like. Then at the end of, of Matthew chapter 9, Jesus says this. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And then he says to his followers, so pray that God will send out laborers. But this is a trick prayer. Because immediately following the end of chapter 9, when Jesus tells them to pray this prayer, that God will send out laborers, the scripture tells us, Matthew records, that Jesus gathers all these disciples to himself, and then guess what he does? He sends them. Why? This is a super important principle, not just about mission, but about prayer. Because very often, you are the answer to the prayer that you are offering to God. And in this case, Jesus tricked his disciples into praying that God would send somebody. Guess what? You're the somebody. But what happens in that moment isn't just that Jesus sends them. It is to say that Jesus gives them authority to do the things that they had just watched him do. They just came back from an outing with Jesus where they watched him heal the sick, cast out demons, exercise authority over the very forces of nature. And then in Matthew 10, Jesus said this. He said, I give you authority over all these things. All the stuff that you've just watched me do. 
All the things that you've heard me talk about. I'm giving you authority so that you can do those very things, so that you can follow my example. And then Jesus instructs them where they are to go and what their assignment is. Namely, to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom, proclaim the gospel of the kingdom, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, drive out demons. I'm thinking this should be, I'm... I was thinking to myself as I was preparing for the message, I thought, this should be how I close every service, every weekend, would be to say, go and tell everybody the good news about the kingdom this week. Preach the gospel. Also, heal the sick. Raise the dead. Drive out evil wherever you are. Can you imagine if that was every weekend, right? We just, I'm kind of half joking, half not, right? But we all should have this sense that, that God has picked us. Why did he pick you? He picked you so that he could give you authority. Why did he give you authority? So that you could go this week and do the things that Jesus does. What does he do? Everywhere he is, he's healing, he's driving out evil, he's Finding dead people and bringing resurrection life wherever he is. And we're invited and picked to join his team. It's not just about the 12 in case we think that, well, Jesus just did that with the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles. In Luke 10, we read about Jesus doing the exact same thing with 72 people. 72 other followers, it says other followers. Jesus does the exact same thing with them. In that case, he sends them out two by two. Why? Just a reminder that the Great Commission is a team sport. It's not an individual sport. It's something that we do with others. So in John 20 verse 21, Jesus says to his disciples, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, as the Father has sent me, in the same way that the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. In Matthew 28, verses 19 to 20, Jesus says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. Acts 1, verse 8 Right before Jesus ascends to the Father, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. For what purpose? Power has to be connected to purpose. Without purpose, there is no need for power. Listen, you don't need to have electricity run into your home if there isn't anything to turn on. We don't need, listen, we could come into church and we can lift our hands and we can lift our voices and we can pray that God will pour out his spirit here. But if we don't have a sense of purpose about us, then what's it for? So Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Paul writes to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5.20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Listen, whatever the church may feel called to do, whatever it is that the church may do, and the church here, this particular local church, and churches all over Albuquerque and beyond, churches do all kinds of really wonderful things. But whatever the church may feel called to do, it must be done in faithfulness to the church's mission to both show and share the gospel of the kingdom. That is our mission. That is what we are called to do. Now there's all kinds of ways in which we can follow the leading of the Holy Spirit in how we live that out and in how we walk that out. But make no mistake, whatever it is that we feel led to do as a church community so that we may be a light that shines in the darkness, so that we may be a voice for the gospel, so that we may be a blessing in Albuquerque, so that you may be a blessing to your neighborhood, to your families, to your co-workers, it must be done in faithfulness to this mission. Why? Because this is why Jesus came and this is why Jesus picked us and this is why Jesus has given us his spirit why Jesus has authorized us and why he has sent us 
This is our trophy. This is our championship. This is the thing to which God would direct our focus and direct our purpose and direct us together towards that vision, towards that mission. So this mission, this task, this assignment, this task, it needs a team. It needs a team. Remember what we read in Luke chapter 10, that when Jesus sent out the 72, he sent them out in pairs rather than by themselves. So in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 to 12, it says the two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity the fool, that's a Gen X reference, Pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So what's, what's the point? The point is simply that we are better together. That we are better together. Let me pause and just make one quick comment here. <clears throat> because we live in a culture that we are growing increasingly isolated. Now, there's lots that we can learn. This is going to be a really quick sidetrack. There's a lot that we can learn from the story of David and Goliath. Here's one thing that I would like to, us to see today. So David and Goliath, two armies line up for battle. The Philistines, which represented, they were not represented, they were the enemy of Israel, the enemy of God's people. The Philistines, they proposed a way of doing battle. And that was, we're gonna have our giant come out on the field and you send one person out and they will fight. Here's the point. The devil's strategy has always been and always will be to isolate you. Because the devil's read passages like this. Your enemy knows that his very best chance to defeat you is to get you alone. That if he can fight you on his terms, he has the best chance of defeating you. I think that one of the big mistakes that Israel made in this battle was that they allowed the enemy to dictate the terms of battle. Listen, do not let the enemy dictate the terms of battle. His desire is to get you isolated because it gives him the best chance of defeating you. So understand what we see here in the scripture. We need one another. We are better together. We are stronger together than when we are isolated. In Nehemiah chapter four, we're reading about uh, Nehemiah who was, um, this is the time of Israel being uh, in exile and some of the Babylonian kings, Persian kings, had begun to allow some of the Israelites to go back to Jerusalem, and they had um, begun to rebuild the temple, and Nehemiah himself becomes aware that one of the things that was really needed in Jerusalem was that the walls that protected the city, the walls that had protected the temple, they needed to be restored, because as long as they were laid, you know, had been destroyed, that the city was vulnerable to attack. And so he asks uh, the, the, the Babylonian or the Persian emperor if he could return to his people and bring some people with him so that they could rebuild the wall. And he was given permission. He was actually given a guard and given resources so that he could go back. And so he rallies some of the Israelites, some of the people, and they begin to rebuild the wall. But they face opposition. And in uh, Nehemiah chapter 4, we read about two things that happened. Actually, one is that the people just got tired. It was hard. And uh, it was a difficult task that they had. And so they began to get worn out with the difficulty of the task. But in addition to that, some of the people who had previously lived in that area, they were angry and upset at what they saw happening with the, uh, the Jewish people returning to Jerusalem and to build the wall. They had rebuilt the temple and they were opposing them and they were making plans to do battle against uh, these Israelites, these Jewish uh, people in order to stop them from being able to restore Jerusalem to restore the wall that surrounded the city. And so what we read in Nehemiah chapter 4 is that Nehemiah hears what's going on, the tiredness of his own people, and he encourages them. 
And he also becomes aware of the plans of the enemy to thwart their purpose. And so he begins to strategically place people in different places with different assignments so that they could both be protected from the enemy and they could continue to pursue their purpose and get the job done. And so at one point he says, so I set half of our people, I positioned them at different points in the wall with their weapons in their hands so that they could defend us while the rest of us, we continued to work on the wall in order to continue to build it. He, he says, you know, at one point we noticed that we were really spread out thin and so there would be large gaps in the wall and so they set this strategy where they would say to people when you hear a trumpet blast like an alarm if you will everyone run towards that sound because that's where we need defense right but the point is this is we see this wonderful picture in Nehemiah chapter 4 of the people of God who are united by a sense of purpose and yet encountering the difficulty of the task they're tired they're worn out they've been working hard not only that they're facing enemies from without and here comes Nehemiah to simply say to encourage them and then to say here you do this you go over here you focus on this this is going to be your assignment what do we see we see people coming together to work together as a team in order to accomplish a common goal or a common vision and that's what we are called to both be and to do we are Jesus' followers, which means we are called into Jesus' mission. And that mission requires a team that can't be done by ourselves. Listen, whoever told you that you can be everything that God wants you to be and that you can accomplish God's will by yourself lied to you. We need each other. And we need to be unified around the mission that God has given to us. So in closing, let me quickly give you just kind of four qualities that help teams to win. There's all kinds of them. There's all kinds of them are good. This isn't an exhausted, ex exhaustive list. But as I was preparing and thinking about today, these are four things that I want to encourage all of us uh, to embrace as we consider how we are unified as a church family around the mission of Jesus Christ. The first is, is that we need to be committed. We need to be committed. Listen to this. And ordinary people who are committed to one another and a common goal can make an extraordinary impact on their world. This is true everywhere. But it is absolutely true in the community of faith where our power doesn't come from our collective strength and wisdom and ability, but comes from the very presence and power of God that is in our midst. Amen? And so when you take a people just like this, and, they're and you mix in a spirit of unity around a common goal, and you add the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, listen, this is an unstoppable force that we have been called into. Secondly, second quality is dependable, is being dependable. Listen to this quote by Edward Everett Hale. He said, I am only one, but still I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. And because I cannot do everything, I will not refuse to do the something that I can do. I can't do everything, but I can do something. And because I can't do everything, I will not refuse to do the thing that I can do. So committed, dependable. Third is selfless. Selflessness. We've all heard the saying, there's no I in team, right? Listen, becoming who God is calling us to be and doing what God is calling us to do demands that we be found willing to put Jesus, his people, and his mission ahead of ourselves. Philippians 2, verses 2 to 7 says, Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the ambition, uh, by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, listen to this, have the same mindset of Jesus. 
think the same way that Jesus thought. And then he describes that. Who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. What does it mean? It means that the Jesus who picked us to join us in his mission, he modeled for us the very kind of selflessness that he asks us to commit to in our own lives and in our own relationships, that we would be selfless just as Jesus was selfless. So four qualities, committed, dependable, selfless, finally, in closing, tenacious. Tenacious. Listen, because we trust that God is still working, we don't ever give up. We don't ever give up. There will be difficult moments. There will be difficult seasons. There might even be defeats. But we don't ever give up. Listen to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 36 to 39. It says, you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For, and now he's quoting the Old Testament, or she's, he, he is quoting the Old Testament. For, in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And, but my righteous one will live by faith, and I will take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But listen to this last sentence. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. We do not belong to those who shrink back. We are not made of that kind of stuff. We don't give in to discouragement. We don't give in to defeat. We don't give in to difficulty. We don't bow at the face of whatever obstacles we may face. But we recognize that we are the people of God who have been picked by God to join Him in His mission, which is nothing less than the renewal of all things. That God would be all in all. That He would be glorified above all things. And that His glory would cover the whole earth as the waters cover the seas. So that God would receive all of the honor and that the world would be renewed through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's what we are called to be. That's what we are called to give ourselves to. And that is why we are not of those who shrink back. But we persevere. Why? Because we know that the God who picked us is the God who will be faithful to complete what he has started in our lives because he is good and because he is able. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? As we close out this uh, series where we've been talking about unity and being in this together, and our, a reminder that our focus has been that we are unified by our shared allegiance to Jesus. We're unified by our shared commitment to one another. And we are unified by our shared commitment to the mission of Jesus, of Jesus' mission. I would like us to end our time just by extending our hands and lifting our voices to the Lord. And we, can we just say to God, Lord, would you pour out your spirit in our church? Would you pour out your spirit in our lives? Uh, we pray that you would cause there to be a spirit of unity that would rise up within this church family that we would truly be a community of faith unified by our shared allegiance to Jesus Christ unified by our love and commitment to one another and unified by our shared commitment to the mission of Jesus Christ come on just pray that way right now lift your own voices and call out your own words to Jesus that his spirit would be poured out in this place hallelujah Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. 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 Thank you, Father. Father, today we rejoice. Lord, we rejoice in this one thing that you picked us 
every single one of us, you picked us. You picked us because you saw us. You picked us because you loved us. You picked us because you chose us. You picked us because your desire was set upon us. We thank you today that each and every one of us, you have picked us, that you have brought us together for this season, for this moment, for this time, and for this place so that we could be a part of what you are doing in the city of Albuquerque and beyond, so that we could be a part of what you are doing in our families and in our own little corners of the world. We thank you today that you have picked us. Now, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would uh, uh, pour out upon us a spirit of unity so that we can be of one heart and of one mind. Gather together, unified together because we worship you, because we love one another, and because we're committed to the mission that you have given us that the world would know of your goodness and of your greatness and of your saving power revealed in Jesus Christ. Make it real in our lives, I pray, in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen, amen. Isn't God good? Church, next weekend, uh, we're going to begin a, uh, our Christmas season. Everybody loves Christmas. So next weekend, we're going to begin a series leading up to Christmas. So I want to encourage you to, you know, invite your friends, invite your family, invite your enemies. People love to, you know, it's the Christmas season where people love to, you know, be around Christmassy things. And that's what we're going to be doing here at City Church over the next four weeks. Uh, church, God bless you. We love you. I hope your Thanksgiving has been awesome. Before you take off, turn around. Find somebody that you've never met before and uh, say hello to them today. Be blessed.